Touchdown Alabama Magazine, your number one source for everything Alabama football, presents the Crimson Blitz with your hosts, Clint Lamb and Jake Weaver, huddling up to tackle the latest college football news. Sometimes it can get a little controversial. They settle it on the field, we settle it off of it. Get ready for the Crimson Blitz. What is up, everybody? Clint Lamb with Touchdown Alabama Magazine, sitting here with my co-host Jake Weaver, also with Touchdown Alabama Magazine, and this is the Crimson Blitz. This is the first episode of this. We couldn't be more excited. What we're going to be doing is talking a little bit about Alabama football and what's been going on during spring practice. So, Jake, get us started, man. What do you think about how spring has gone so far in this first week? Well, first off, Clint, I just want to kind of say – you know, we're really excited to start this podcast off. We see this going in a lot of different ways, and we hope everybody really sits down and enjoy it. We uh, kind of a little note on the side is, you know, we're just, like you said before we started, man, we're just two bros talking about football. You know what I'm saying? So we're just hoping that the guys and everybody really gets gets a good feeling for this and, and really enjoys it and has a good time listening. Um, as far as football goes, man, I mean, spring practice just started back. That's always fun. I uh, got eight a and about a month. There's a lot. There's a lot going on in the world. I know Tua Tungavaloa, however you however you pronounce his name, just uh, kind of messed up his thumb yesterday. And actually, it was two days ago or two days ago. My bad. And Maybe even three. Was it? Huh. I think it was on Monday. Today's what Thursday. They said so. it was Monday. Oh, well, he was thrown in practice yesterday. Uh, oh, was he? Okay. But yeah. I could be wrong too. I think they broke it yesterday. Either way, he uh, messed up his thumb. They originally thought he was going to be out for the spring. Now they're coming back. Oh, it might just be a sprain. He might even be back next week, as, you know, as early as next week. Uh, obviously, Matt Womack messed up his, uh, I think, broke a bone in his leg. Is that right? His yeah. Foot? Oh, it was, was his, it his foot? foot. And then, yeah. uh, oh, go ahead, man. Well, I mean, dude, this is what, to me, is what's crazy is – we had this entire idea of what the quarterback position was going to be for Alabama starting in the spring, and a lot of Bama fans did not like the idea of a competition between Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungvaloa. Well, I mean, you know, you got Gardner Minshew, who's randomly decided that he's not going to go to Alabama. He's going to go to Washington State. And, you know, with that, now we're talking about Jalen versus Tua. Those are the only two guys really in the competition. Mac Jones would not be in the competition. Uh, as it you know sits right now, but then Tua gets hurt. Now we're looking at just Jalen and Mac Jones for at least probably the next week, two weeks. I mean, they've come out and said that he'll end up being back relatively soon. But I mean, you know, spraining your thumb on your throwing hand can be a finicky thing, and so I'm interested to see how that ends up playing out. But the quarterback position now, compared to where we thought it was going to be even a week ago, is completely different. And you know, I've told people. From the beginning, I felt like the entire reason for bringing in Minshew was to be able to either A, you know, head off the fact that Jalen might be transferring after the spring, or B, you already knew that he was going to be switching positions. Well, we talk about Jalen. I mean, you know, Hurts, yeah, he might go or he might stay. Who actually knows about the guy? But what about Mac Jones? Did you see that he told somebody that he was he he gets a little frustrated anytime someone says it's the two of Jalen battle and he's never mentioned? Well, let's let's be honest. I mean, he, he's not in the conversation. He's not going to beat for it. Took a special talent like Tua to be able to beat out a guy like Jalen, um, and and so of course, if it's not Tua, it's going to be Jalen. 
Mac Jones isn't even in the conversation, and I understand that would frustrate any competitor. But let's be honest, um, he doesn't bring the talent level of a guy like Tua Tungavaloa. He doesn't have the experience and the history and the fan base's love like a guy like Jalen. I mean, okay, I can't fault him for that, but he he needs there needs to be a, a certain level of you know realism there and. When especially Saban told you everything you needed to know. I mean, obviously last year they they rolled into the season with two true freshmen and a true sophomore quarterback at the position. It was the only three scholarship guys after losing all those transfers. And yet Saban, I'm sure that wasn't ideal for him, but he was cool with it. But he had put this entire offseason, really put a focus on getting a quarterback added, whether it be through recruiting or in, through a grad transfer. And Mac Jones, I got to be honest with you, buddy. There's a reason for that. Uh, you aren't what Saban's looking for at this point in time. It doesn't mean that you can't be in the future, but Saban's not just wanting to bring in a guy like Minshew to be the fourth string quarterback. It was already a stretch enough, in my opinion, that he would agree to come to be the third string quarterback. Now, with that, I did hear that he's wanting to go into coaching um, after he's done playing, and that is why he originally chose Alabama, which does make more sense now based off of what I believed. But now at the same time, he also believes he has, still has a shot at playing in the NFL, and that's what Washington State pitched, and that's why he's there. But You're I mean, talking about Minshew? Yeah, he's Minshew. He's got a like shot it, at playing in the NFL? He couldn't even start at Eastern Carolina? Well, and that's that's the thing is, you know, maybe you didn't want to give up on that dream yet, and I totally get it. I was there at one point in my career. Uh, then you end up at a D3 college, and you realize, yep, NFL's probably not happening. Time to move on to the next chapter of your life. But with a guy like Minshew, you know, he played at East Carolina. Of course, like you said, uh, the playing time there was, or lack thereof, was obviously a, a huge red flag. But Washington State's apparently pitched, after losing Luke Falk to the NFL, they've pitched this idea that he can still be an NFL quarterback and he has a chance to start there. So he's decided to to take his talents over to the West Coast and, you know, good luck to him. But this quarterback competition and this quarterback depth chart is just way out of whack right now between the injury to Tua and the, you know, not adding a guy like Minshew to the quarterback room, you're talking about now Mac Jones might have a chance to show what he can do. If he's really as talented as he believes he is, um, he's going to get a lot more opportunities to show that over the course of the next week, you know, 10 days, two weeks, however long that two is out. But the other interesting aspect is the Matt Womack factor. Um, I really felt like, now granted, the offensive line that we saw with, you know, Joan Williams at left tackle, Joshua Kasher, uh, at left guard, Pierschbacher at center, which I absolutely love. I think he's the best candidate to take over that spot. A lot of people have mentioned Jenna Williams, but I think Pierschbacher's the guy. But Lester Cotton at right guard and then Jedrick Wills, now that Womack is out uh, with that foot injury, he's been the guy taking the snaps at right tackle. But I whole, the whole reason I had this idea of kicking Jenna Williams over to right tackle where he excelled as a freshman, that would also put him on to his blind side. You got guys, I think that, Lester Cotton has experience at both right and left guard. I think you could kick him to left guard if need be, or you can start Jedrick Wills there. I think he's an awesome guard prospect. I think that ultimately this could be where he ends up. Pierce Bacher at center, and then Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. But the fact that we might end up sticking, uh, we might end up seeing the same quarterback depth chart as last year, I, I still believe too is the guy. Don't get me wrong, but if you know something changes and Jalen's able to have a phenomenal spring, the fact that oh, Womack man. had a year. Oh, man, I think that people will riot. 
I think so too. There's reasonably, not a doubt in my reasonably. mind. No, but there's going to be, you know, this is what's strange about this whole uh, quote unquote quarterback competition that's going on. People are very much there are is a huge percentage of the fans that are in Jalen's corner. And they, they felt like he's been written off way too quickly because of his, you know, he's only had two losses. Get out of here with that. That's irrelevant. Greg McElroy didn't have a lot of losses. AJ McCarron didn't have a lot of losses. Blake Sims didn't have a lot of losses. Jake Coker. The bottom line is if you're the starting quarterback for the University of Alabama, as long as you can throw a football relatively well, we can take converted running backs and turn them into a quarterback well enough to take us to the playoffs. Uh, you can take... Uh, a guy that was a, a cast off from Florida State and turned him into a national championship quarterback. So this whole idea, oh, we only lost two games. So have all the other quarterbacks that have ever played under Nick Saban at Alabama. So let's let's stop with that argument. That's ridiculous to me. But there are people that do are still heavily in Jalen's corner, and then you have other people who I call the smart people. Uh, those are the guys that are understand what Alabama's offense can be with Tua, because you're talking about. The defense does have some question marks, obviously, with losing all the guys in the secondary, losing your dominant zero-technique nose tackle like Deron Payne, losing two you know, really solid inside linebackers and Sean Deion Hamilton and, and uh, uh, Rashawn Evans. There's some question marks on that side of the football. So you've got to have an offense that can really step up and be more than it's been for Alabama under since Nick Saban took over the program, in my opinion. Two is that guy to me. I'm not saying that Jalen's not a good quarterback at all. I do think he has severe limitations, but he you can't have the type of offense they put on the field last year with the defense that they're going to have this upcoming no, year. And, and that right there, Clint, dude, that right there is the key that everybody needs to remember. We're not returning the stars from the defense. Rashawn Evans, he's out. Sean Dion, he's out. Minka, he's out. Anthony Averett, he's out. Come on, Ronnie Harrison, he's gone. I mean, come on, you want to keep adding Levi Wallace? He's gone. We're losing Deron Payne, like you just mentioned. He's gone. Deshaun Han, he's out. We are losing so many really talented players on defense. There's no way. There is no way that you're going to expect that a Jalen Hurts option get running offense is going to succeed. And in the SEC, I think we see that Every team is kind of drafting the or kind of assigning those, you know, hybrid type linebackers, guys who can come and play down. And just about every team really focuses on stopping the run these days. Now, there's some who are still awful at it. Texas A&M hasn't quite figured it out. Um, but ultimately, that's the thing. You're going to go play the best competition, like we saw this year with Jalen, and they're just going to load the box like crazy. It's so bad on the defense that they are working out a potential stud receiver from last year, Devontae Smith. They're trying him out at cornerback. That's how concerned he is about the depth. Now, granted, Saban has come out and said, we're planning on playing Devontae Smith at receiver. Obviously, I mean, the guy had, you know, seven receptions, 156 yards. He actually led the team. He led. The, he had a clutch touchdown after clutch touchdown. Uh, the two a magical touchdown versus Vanderbilt. The game winner versus Mississippi State. The game winner uh, on the biggest stage in college football in the national championship against Georgia. I mean, the guy is a 
big play receiver, and the depth is so bad at cornerback right now. Now, granted, they are getting some huge reinforcements in this year's recruiting class, but they're trying Smith out at cornerback. Right, and, it's, and like you said, it's probably out of need. It's it's a it's a body. You need bodies. They've got. I think I was just looking at about three or four guys coming in, but they're just they're not early enrollees. They've only got a four, about four or five early enrollees this year, which is also new. Usually, they have. A handful. I know last year, I know for sure Jerry Judy was an early enrollee. Tua was an early enrollee. They Najee. had Najee. They had, uh, let's see, I think, I want to say Mac Jones might have even early enrolled. There was just, a, there was a lot of guys that were early last year. So many Absolutely. guys. Um, and, you know, of course you end up seeing other guys get playing time. I mean, even even the guys that weren't early enrollees ended up getting playing time. Um, but, you know, this quarterback thing, is it's going to battle. It's going to go through all the summer. And hopefully we kind of get the idea. Hey, two is the starter. Jalen, sorry, you kind of you had your two, you had your two years. You didn't improve. I don't know whose fault it was. I don't know if he just never had it. I just or if it was Lane Kiffin not coaching him right, and then or what. And you know there were a lot of rumors. Again, rumors. No, nobody go tweeting this out or anything crazy. That Brian Dayball wanted uh, two of the entire year. I don't actually remember who mentioned that to me. But. Yes, I've, I've actually seen several people talk about that. And the thing about it, I don't think the offensive line was set up to help Jalen last year. And I've said that, you know, multiple times. No, and, and uh, I wrote uh, articles about how bad Matt Womack played on the right side. If your right absolutely. tackle can't block, you're getting person in your face every play. Well, think about this. You, t- you take last year. You t- take a significant, I'm talking about huge drop-off at right tackle going from one of the best – uh, seasons that any Alabama offensive lineman has ever had in Jonah Williams, you step down from him to Matt Womack on the right side. Jonah Williams was solid on the left side, but I don't think they really improved much at that position. Cam Robinson had struggles with false start penalties, but he at times was absolutely dominant on that left side. And Jonah Williams has the ability to con- continue to play left tackle, but I do think that that was you know maybe even a sl- slight drop off there. And then you have, of course, you know, Corin Curvin going to Lester Cotton. That was probably an upgrade. But your two tackle positions, in my opinion, took a little bit of a hit. And you're trying to teach a quarterback to stand in the pocket and scan the field, go to your second and third reads and things. And he's under pressure almost immediately in a lot of situations from the very first game against Florida State. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, don't, I think that some of it has been out of Jalen's control. Um, but yeah, but you got to put a lot of it on him too. I mean, he, the kid's a quarterback, and he's supposed to grab absolutely. the ball. And and given the opportunities, he was pulling it down. Yeah, look, I, I wrote about it. I was very harped on it a lot last year, especially later in the year. And I put there's plenty of evidence on the on the thing that I wrote about. Matt Womack struggled though, and there's no question he he could not fight the guys off. He has no foot speed. It's like a cinder block. Yeah, he'll help. He'll help sometimes if the guys coming straight at him. But if if the guy moves outside at all, I think Jeff Holland or whatever the kid's name is from uh, Auburn just murdered him all game long, almost all game. I, and the thing about it too is, I, see, I look at this and I think the competition going on at right tackle should be the competition that's going on at left guard. Uh, between Matt, I think Matt Womack at times, I think he played a little bit of right guard last year when Lester Cotton got hurt. You put him in a phone booth, and he doesn't have to worry about the speed on the edge, which is by far his biggest weakness as a as a player. So 
And I think Jedrick Wills, I think he could survive at right tackle. I think he would do much better than, than Matt Womack. But I also think he could be an elite guard in the SEC and eventually in the NFL. So to me, I think that the competition going on at right tackle between Womack and Wills needs to be the left guard competition. They need to they need to keep Ross Piercebacher at center as long as, you know, he can continue to improve at that position. I think he's the most likely candidate. And your two tackles to me should be Jonah Williams and Alex Leatherwood. Now, I think that with the fact that Williams had so much success at right tackle and Alex Leatherwood is clearly more comfortable at left tackle, I would personally go that route, especially if two is the quarterback because you put your best offensive lineman in the best position to succeed for him and Jonah Williams on to his blonde side, which is crucial. But Leatherwood uh, could also play right tackle as well. I think he could survive there and do every bit as well. Maybe not be as strong of a run blocker as Jedrick Wills or maybe not even as strong as Matt Womack, but I do think that he could survive on that right side. But, see, that's the entire point. Um, So do you think that this injury to Matt Womack kind of becomes sort of this door-opening experience for the rest of the younger guys to kind of come in and supplant him? Or do you think this is just going to be one of those things where he'll come back, he still has his job, he's got experience. I think think he gets replaced. Okay, well, see, that's surprising to me because Saban has that thing. And I don't know if it's a loyalty or what it is. It seems to me – it's really hard for him to let for him to put younger guys in over the older guys. Um, it, it's, well, I think at that, least in my opinion. Well, it goes against his entire philosophy. What does he preach to people? Uh, guys like Rashawn Evans, or um, I'm trying to think. There's there's tons of examples. Guys that waited their turn, and you know, if you put in the work and you wait your turn, you'll get your time. And I think that when you bench a guy that's put in the time like Matt Womack, who is going to be what a redshirt junior. Uh, his fourth year in the program for a, a second-year player, um, that that kind of goes against that philosophy, and he doesn't want that impacting his ability to sell that idea to younger players because he knows that other coaches are going to use that against him if he does. But at the same time, you've you've recruited some elite guys along the offensive line. You've got to find a way to get them in the game. And to, and if Saban's being truthful when he says we want to get the best five guys out there. You're talking to me, your best five offensive linemen right now. Things could change, but I think you're talking Jonah Williams, Rosh Piercebacher, Lester Cotton, Alex Leatherwood, and Jedrick Wills. So figure out a way to get all those guys on. Now I've seen people talk about Leatherwood going to guard. To me, he's a tackle, and to me, Wills is a guard. Um, I'm not saying that they can't play both positions, but you, I just think you're you're putting both players in a better position to succeed if Wills is at guard I and agree. Leatherwood's at tackle. Completely. So, and- Go ahead. Now, 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 this is what's kind of odd is you're combining all this at the same time. Saban's trying to get the best five guys out there. You got this quarterback shakeup. We all, like, like I've said multiple times, we've got this quarterback shakeup. The depth chart has already dramatically changed based off of what we thought it was going to be even a week ago. Um, but this offense, as much as people have been focusing on the defense and the changes that have to or the guys that have to step up now that there are so many uh players moving on to the NFL what was supposed to be that constant was the offense out of a, outside of a couple positions uh it was supposed to be you know Najee Harris moving into that Bo Scarborough role maybe even splitting more time with Damian Harris but the running back position was supposed to be fine the receivers were you know granted they were replacing their top three receivers but there was there's depth for there at, you know for days you know with Devontae Smith working at corner Tyrell Shavers, the 6'6", 213-pound 
physical specimen red zone threat is now work, been working with the first team. And plus you're bringing in a lot of those other guys like Jalen Waddle in this year's recruiting class. I mean, you're talking the receiver position was supposed to be fine. You're getting Miller Forrestall. Now, granted, you know, just as a side note, he's been wearing a black non-contact jersey, still recovering from that torn ACL from last year. But he's supposed to be back and joining Irv Smith and Major Tennyson and Hell Hinges and all those guys. I mean, that position is supposed to be fine. It's getting your best five offensive linemen out there, but you have tons to choose from that are more than capable. And and, and a lot of different guys that have the versatility to play several different positions. Uh, the fact that, you know, Cashers is working with the first team. I mean, he's a guy that I didn't really ever even mention being in the competition, and yet he's kind of another one of those guys that's put in the time with the program, and maybe he's going to end up getting his shot, and he should also start to be considered uh, a threat at that position. But we've, we're talk, we've been focusing on the defense all offseason and how many question marks are on that side of the football we need to be putting all that effort towards the offense as well now with all these changes. I mean, this is very strange. Yeah, I'm, you look at it and you think, man, what is it, what's causing it? Well, I mean, I think we both discussed it. It's a thinness on the defensive side right now. I think it will come back and tell, help and we won't have to worry about it. Um, but there's going to be, you know, besides the Tua-Jalen saga – there's not going to be a whole lot on offense, I man. Like you said, I mean, we all know who's the running backs. I mean, Damian Harris, Joshua Jacobs, Najee Harris. Those are your three guys. Those are those guys are going to be an absolute monster out of the backfield. And you know, Brian Robinson. Anybody past that, they might be come sort of forgotten legacies this year. Um, you know, so as far as the offense goes, people don't talk about it. But like you said, we need more focus. The let the offense, the entire offensive line, is just one big question mark. Everybody's going to be shuffled. No one's going to be in the position they were last year, probably. Rosh Pierce Baker to the to the center, like you said. If that happens, all of a sudden that leaves two or three other positions that he could have played open. And and you have to look at it from that perspective. Like you just named a couple of guys who could play and who are good. And we saw Wills play, and he was great. You know, I think Alex Leatherwood has a very good potential of playing and being a good guy and being really talented. But there's still holes, and they're young guys. And if you had a bunch of guys up there who have very limited snaps. You're going to ask a lot out of a guy at like Tua who really hasn't had a whole lot of playing time. It's, it's asking a lot of him to, to read, make those reads and do all that. So you're going to really have to find ways to set people off balance. And then you need those strong strike receivers, those you know deep threat uh, guys. And I think if, if Smith, for whatever reason, stays on the defensive side, that's going to be a huge hit to Alabama. I don't offense. think he does, though. I don't think, I think so either. You know, and you said I think, I think Nick Saban is, is, in fact, going to put him back. Like we said, I think it's just for a need. Um, well, yeah, and what, and the thing about it is I do like the fact that the receivers I, – I like the versatility of the receivers. There's not a ton of size. Now, granted, Shavers being in there at 6'6 really helps. Uh, but Judy and Ruggs, neither one of those guys. I think Judy's six one, um, but that's his listed height. I would probably venture to guess he's closer to six foot. But I think with Devontae Smith – He's the one, him, you know, Shavers is obviously going to be the red zone guy. He can be a big slot if you need him to, um, and things of that nature. But with Smith, he's the only one that's kind of limited him and Shavers as far as the potential top four, as far as what they can do. I don't think Smith is an incredibly good route runner. Um, I think they can continue to show improvement there, but he's your deep threat. I mean, 22.29 yards per catch last year led the team in that area. He was, he's going to continue to be the big play threat. But uh, 
Ruggs and Judy both have the ability to win on all three levels, the short, intermediate, and, and deep uh, areas of the field. And I think that's going to provide Alabama's offense with a lot of uh, flexibility, and it's going to make them extremely dangerous. Agreed. And Ruggs had that incredible streak of like five or six straight catches that, you know, his first five or six, I think, were all touchdowns. It was something insane. Absolutely. So, you know, he's a guy that definitely is a threat. He's all, he's a very good at getting open. He's a great route runner if you've watched him play. Um, but let's kind of shift focus here for just one second, Clint. It's March, obviously, and everybody knows the most popular and riveting thing in March, and this has been probably one of the best of all time, uh, March Madness. And, you know, Alabama finally got in. We had to do some crazy buzzer beating to get there. Uh, had to beat Auburn to get there. That's obviously nice. Um, you know, but Colin Sexton, man, that kid, I don't are know you, how much Are you really going to make me relive this? I mean, I, I just – I crumbled up my bracket. I tossed it. I told myself Alabama's out of it. Uh, Tennessee's out of it. Uh, you know, Auburn had gotten beat. Oh, it's, man, you know, Auburn, Auburn it, didn't just get beat. Auburn, I, Bruce Pearl is going to have to – I don't even know, like, if he's ever going to see the inside of the Auburn Coliseum again. You oh, know, I mean, if, if the it, FBI doesn't the FBI, get him first, yeah. if the FBI doesn't get him first, the new AD might have something to say. Uh, but no, man, I mean, I, I, it's not about so much the results. I mean, look, Alabama, we, we got whooped. But you know what? It was a five-point game and a half. It, we were looking like, hey, we might compete. And then they got hot. And you can't and help this it. Villanova is, is a one-seed team going to be probably in the Final Four, almost no question about it. They're so good. But Alabama finally got a win in the NCAA tournament. First time since 2006. Come on. like Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I think it's been even earlier than that, right? No, I think the last time they actually won was 2006. Yeah. Okay, the last so time when, they actually when, when won a Creighton, game. What, what year did Creighton, Creighton beat them in the beat, first round? Creighton beat them in like 2012. That was Anthony oh, okay, Grant. Right. That was Anthony Grant, right. Trevor Relaford, those guys. Man, I'm getting um, all my years are running. I'm just this uh, Alabama basketball has, has been such a uh, disappointment, disappointment to be as, as sure of a thing as Alabama football has been. Alabama basketball has been equally as unsure of a thing. Exactly. You never know what you're going to get from Absolutely. those guys. Even, even this season, you had guys that were great, and you never knew. I mean, coming into that Texas A&M game, dude, Texas A&M is in a Sweet 16. They just destroyed North Carolina, the defending national champions. Texas A&M just mauled them, beat them by 20 points, and they're going to the Sweet 16. Alabama... Yeah, I mean, we didn't destroy Texas A&M. We had a 13-point lead at one point, and then they came back and almost won it. Te- Colin Sexton was crazy. but uh, Well, my, my point with this whole Alabama basketball thing is, and it's been the most frustrating uh, part to watch about them because they had so much potential. The fact that Petty, until the very end of the season and the tournament, uh, just away from Coleman Coliseum was just awful. Um, the, the splits, and it's all mental. When it splits like that between home and, and road, I mean, he still broke, you know, the record for most threes by a true freshman in Alabama history, and yet he was so bad on the road. How much better could it have been if he could have even put up relatively the same numbers on the road that he did at home? But that was frustrating. But to me, the lack of being able to make free throws all oh, season. Man. and the, It seemed like layups were just – anytime you saw a layup go in, it was a relief. It, it was as unreliable as Alabama's field goal kickers. Um, yeah, and, no and that to me is the saddest part. Is I was watching that game against uh, Villanova, and at halftime they were only down by five, but they were missing free throws, they were missing layups, and it was a matter of Villanova's going to get hot at some point in this game, and if you're not doing the things that you needed to do 
up to that point, the, the, the easy stuff, which should be your free throws and it should be your layups. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're going to pull away relatively quickly. And that's exactly what happened. And that's the most frustrating part. If I was Avery Johnson, I'd have every one of those guys stay every day after practice and you put in 500 free throws before you can leave. How that I get, you know, they're young and you start off with that kind of problem at the beginning of the season. But the fact that you're ending the same way you started, which is your best free throw shooters or guys shooting in the 70 percentile. Oh, Colin um, Sexton, I think, was their best free throw. He was like 78% on the season. That's, yeah, that's that terrible. Pitiful. Absolutely pitiful. Yeah. And, and it was their downfall in so many games. They Teams were able to, at the end of the game, when they were in the bonus, you didn't want Alabama in the bonus because they were going to lose. I mean, it was – other team was making a layup. Alabama was making one of two free throws. Other team was making. I'll say this. You know, I'll say this. During the Virginia Tech game, that was their first, like we said, first tournament win in many, many years, and all of a sudden they were hitting their free throws at the end of the game. Dante, you're right. uh, I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, Ingram was finally hitting his free throws. Colin Sexton was hitting his free throws, and uh, you know it was it was beautiful. It was the most beautiful thing I've seen all year. John Petty was hitting his threes. It was beautiful. It was the orchestra. I want to say this. Alabama basketball is back. And I say that because they return just about every single player on that team next year except Colin Sexton. He's now, that one loss guy. is a pretty big one, though. Oh, let's he's let's huge, be honest. But we did just get a big time, uh, another recruit. Um, I, I still think you have to look at it. Yes, Colin Sexton. I mean, come on, there's no question. And in, in fact, it's going to be a question I'm going to ask you here in a minute. But Colin Sexton was the heart and soul of the team, no doubt about it. However, even without them, without Colin this year, they were they still I think were two or three and zero. I mean, they didn't lose when when he didn't play. They didn't lose, and it was because they were so good. And they beat Auburn, the number one team in the SEC, without him, like earlier in the year. They beat Auburn without Colin Sexton. That shows you. Yes, it was a Colin show a lot of times. But this team itself can really gel around themselves and become great. I think John Petty seeing, hey, I can actually hit threes away from Coleman Coliseum, like you were saying. Maybe I'm maybe I'm better than I think I am. And all of a sudden, maybe he'll start lighting it up again. Let's let's see him go eight eight of ten again, like he did against Auburn. You know, I well they I, have to find more consistent three point. Oh, there's shooting. no question. One of the uh, worst three point shooter teams I ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, and Riley Cooper. Uh, what, what's his Riley name? Norris, yeah. Riley Norris. Riley Norris. Riley Norris. Guy, I always call him Riley Cooper. Uh, receiver for Florida, but Riley Norris going out that definitely hurt their three point shooting uh, over the no course question. of the season. Absolutely. Well, and but, then Braxton uh, Key, like he just seemed off. Like last uh, all year, year, Braxton Key looked like he was going to be a superstar for us, and he was going to be like a three year guy, maybe go get a chance after his third year or something. Well, he like almost that. left for the NBA after, and his they told him, year. "Are you crazy?" And he turned yeah. around and said, "Nah, never mind, guys." Now, you know what I think though with him, my thoughts is he's one of those guys that he, I'm, he's not LeBron James. I'm not saying that, but He's one of those guys where if he's the main guy, that's where he thrives. And when he was on a very uh, – a lot less talented Alabama basketball team and he was considered the best player and the entire offense was built around him, he excelled. But when the offense was – you know, he was like the third option in a lot of situations on the team, he did not – that's not where he's comfortable. So do you think and, it actually hurt him that, that he decided, I'm going to try to be in the NBA. They kind of – I don't want to say they laughed at him, but they, they kind of did. I mean, do you think that hurt his confidence? He just played with no confidence either. He did not look well, like Braxton Key. I, I, I just think he wasn't comfortable, like I said, not being the guy. Uh, uh, watching – standing there and watching Colin Sexton be the guy in all those clutch moments. That was Braxton Key his freshman year. And he thought that, you know, things were only going to go up for him from that point forward. And I'll give him credit. 
credit, you never heard any kind of problem with him complaining about his role. But you, I, to me, when I would watch him, he just didn't seem as comfortable in what he had become to the Alabama basketball team. And maybe, I, you know, I don't think, you know, John Petty is a nice role player. He's going to be really good down the road. I feel like if he can work out those mental struggles on the road with his three-point shooting, which it seems like he has. But, you know, there are a lot of – I love Gallon Smith. I think that guy's going to be phenomenal. Oh, man, his uh, hook he was, shot. His hook shot oh, is a thing of and beauty. I mean, he was only a three-star coming out. I mean, he was yeah. not even – I think he was the fourth or fifth highest recruiting guy in that class and in basketball recruiting classes. I mean, he's one of the bottom tier – guys that they were able to bring in but he played phenomenal reese played the ability uh, has the ability to play the four he can shoot the three oh, man um and and, and, and in, a, in, a, in a in a you know he can play five when they need to you know in, in desperate situations absolutely to. exactly um, yeah and go ahead well i was i was gonna change subjects so if you've got something else go ahead well I'll, i now i will say this I don't know what you're changing the subject to, but we've been talking about the disappointment between injuries. We've been talking about the disappointment between my bracket and Alabama oh, basketball. Man. And my best but, bracket dude, is 32 percent correct. Oh man, I mean it's just it. After that, you know, I had Virginia going to the. Um, actually, I didn't have Virginia going to far. I had Arizona. Oh me going too. To the I, had I had them, them winning playing, in one of mine. I had I had them uh, playing Villanova in the national championship game. And so, you know, and I'm one of those people, I strongly believe one bracket, these people that put out 50 brackets and then I mean, you know, four of the 50, you know, after the the first day, four of their 50 brackets are actually doing halfway well, you know, good. And they sit there and tell you, you know, they're bragging about their picks. It's like, dude, you had 50 attempts. And right, you, exactly. I mean, right. So, I mean, I've, I've always been a, a big proponent of just having one bracket. Right. And from the time that when that happens, you know, it wasn't much point in keeping up with it as soon as Arizona lost. I mean, up to that point, that was the only game I lost on day one. And on day two, I did extremely well, too, until Virginia got beaten. I had them getting beat by Arizona, I think, in the Elite Eight. But it's just like my whole point is that everything up to this point has been nothing but negative. Yeah, You know something that is reliable, something that is something to be excited about? The inside linebackers for Alabama. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you've looked at looked – at, I mean, Matt Wilson and Dylan Moses – I think they are going to be the best duo of inside linebackers that Alabama has had since, you know, we got that small glimpse of Rolando McLean and Dante Hightower well, back in what was l- it? Let me say something, though, all right, because that's a really good uh, segue. What I was going to actually ask you is, you know, we saw what Colin Sexton did for that team last year. You know, in the past, Alabama football has had guys like Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, Derrick Henry, definitely, those workhorse guys, guys who are constantly about it. Reuben Foster, you could even say he was a he was a monster on the defense. He was a key cog. Minka Fitzpatrick really was a big key cog. Um, and it might be harder on defense to say because there's so many pieces and everybody's got to play a role. But who do you think are the Colin Sextons of this team on offense and on defense? Who do you on think defense, becomes that? On defense, uh, I think that the entire – there's two guys that you're going to be built – the defense line is going to be built around. And If you had to pick one guy on each side – who do you think? That's going to be um, difficult. Who do you think? Because, I mean, you think about the one guy leading the squad. Who is it? Raekwon Davis probably on defense. I think he has the ability to make the biggest impact wow. on a consistent basis. I, I think, to me, uh, I don't want to say Richard Seymour, um, you know, it, but he reminds me of a guy that his ceiling is outstanding. And I think that he's only continued to have gotten better. Uh, last year was his sophomore year. 
going into his junior year. He's got the size. He plays, you know, granted he gets a little bit high at times, but he plays with overall pretty consistent pad level uh, considering he's 6'7". Uh, I, f- I figured that was going to be a major issue for him at Alabama, and so far it hadn't been, at least not to the degree that I thought it was. Um, but, man, you can't get off of I, – I, I think that Deontay Thompson's a tone setter on defense at playing the safety position. Um, he's going to step up and be the leader of the secondary, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, between um, – you guys got – you got guys like, you know, Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings who and, – and Christian Miller, that rotation with all these freshmen coming in uh, is just incredible at edge. Um, but I think ultimately the if, if I had to pick one – I would go with with Raekwon Davis on defense. Who are you going with? I mean, if you you said wow when I said Raekwon. I mean, who kind of did you have on your mind? Well, the reason I say wow is Raekwon is is a guy that you know. I mean, if you looked like it years past, Jonathan Allen was obviously kind of that same defensive end, huge playmaking guy, no questions about it. Um, Raekwon Davis was fantastic this last year, absolutely no question. He's a monster. He's humongous. He, he can make plays in all facets of the game. But the reason I say wow is because when you're looking at Colin Sexton as a, as a guy, you're saying, okay, he's a point guard of the team. He does this. He does that. I, I think maybe you're going more productivity. I'm thinking more the leader of the Flash. defense. I'm, well, yeah. yes, but there's also you have to have a guy that sets the plays, that sets the does, that does this, and, the, you know, and, and is getting everybody coordinated and ready to go. And you have to look right there in the middle. I think that's Mac Wilson. I think Mac yeah. Wilson is the guy with more experience than anybody. He's going to be – I think Dylan Moses ends up – I want to say Dylan Moses might win that inside backer position right beside him. And no Mil- Moses has a ton of talent and a ton of experience after having to come in late in the last season. Uh, but Mac Wilson is the guy who had way more experience, and he's going to be their guy. And I think Mac Wilson becomes the pivotal playmaker – and everything I've heard about Mac, about Mac is that he's very intelligent, very very smart, and very good at what he does. Obviously, we've seen that. So I think he, I think he'll be the guy. I think he's the Colin Sexton of the defense. Now, who do you think is Colin Sexton of the offense? Well, first of all, I definitely don't disagree with anything you said there. I mean, it's you know I kind of got off. You know, I thought you, I was more so approaching it with the mentality of you know who do I think is the most dominant presence on that defense as well, a whole. You're probably leaning toward, towards more like productivity as opposed to the leadership style too. Yeah and I think but I do I mean you're talking it's like a, I was just saying before that that duo at inside linebacker I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch and with the defensive line of the edge rushers in front of them I think both of you know Moses and uh, Wilson are both going to make a ton of plays this year for Alabama. They can both um, find their way to the football. They're both true sideline to sideline linebackers, um, and both are tone setters. Kind of like I said about Deontay Thompson. Mac hopefully, Wilson, they they ex- give a they give the secondary a lot of relief. The young Absolutely. secondary some relief. But I mean, if if we're talking about offense, um, I mean, you know, the comparisons between Colin Sexton and Tua Tagovailoa with their true freshman year and the what, what they were able to do in the biggest moments. You know, Sexton. Uh, playing against Texas A&M in the SEC championship, driving at the length of the court uh, with 4.4 seconds. I don't think I've ever seen a player get from one side of a basketball court to the other that quickly. Only one guy. Um, only one guy I've ever seen do that, and it's the guy that Colin Sexton says he wanted to be. And he's actually my favorite basketball player in the entire world, Russell Westbrook. 
Absolutely. And then, you know what? And that's, I, I think that, I don't necessarily think at this point Sexton is, now, I wouldn't, Westbrook's not really a shooter, a pure shooter like a Steph Curry or something at the point guard position. But, yeah, I, I think that there's been comparisons to him. I think a more accurate comparison right now for Colin Sexton, and I've heard it a lot and I completely agree with it, and that's John Wall for the Wizards. I think that, you know, former Kentucky guy, I think that is an excellent comparison. I think John Wall came out of Kentucky a, a way better passer than Colin Sexton right now. And I think that's the thing with Russell Westbrook was he was actually a two-guard, which if yeah. you watch, Colin Sexton did play a lot of two-guard this year. They had Avery Drouts Jr., Dazon Egram running that guard that position um, because Colin Sexton's passing, he's getting there. It was way improved, but that wasn't his, you know, he, he can make flashy passes. He just wasn't always making the right passes in the game. He had a lot of turnovers, which is something well, Russell man, Westbrook struggled with because he wasn't a point guard until Oklahoma City made him a point guard. Jake, not everybody can be Lawson Schaefer, man. Not everybody can be, you know, be that elite passer, that oh, Steve man. Nash, Jason Schaefer. Kidd. Uh, I mean, that, that kid came in. In the, and, I'm, I mean, I, I think he has always been a fan favorite. There's no doubt. Yeah. Um, I just wanted one of those shots to go in, man. He was throwing up some prayers exactly. uh, at the end of several games. None of them that I saw ever fell. Nope. But uh, but nope. I was happy to see him with that back behind-the-back pass. I mean, it was beautiful. Um, but, Tell you what, you know, he, he warmed that bench pretty well, too. Yeah, and, and I've had people <laughs> argue with me. And you know, maybe if, with, with, with what I've seen over the last few games from him, uh, maybe they had a point, and they were arguing that they felt like a guy like Lawson Schaefer should have been seeing more playing time than a guy like Avery Johnson Jr. And I get that, you know, Avery Johnson Jr. is a coach's son, and he tries really hard, and he had some pretty big moments. But overall, he's been, I think, a liability on the court for Alabama. And I don't think Lawson necessarily provides a whole lot, but he definitely – Alabama lacked that, you know, just really crisp – um, efficient passer this season, and maybe that could have been Lawson Schaefer. I don't know, but he—I think he's a junior. I think he'll be back next year, so I'll be curious to see how he ends up working into the rotation at point guard if, if uh, you know, with Sexton being gone. But let's I refocus think, back to the uh, yeah the football the offense. Uh, I mean, okay, um, I, I don't think there's any doubt that you have to go with Tua Tungvaluwa. Yeah. I think he ends up still being let's the say quarterback. Two is, let's say two is not an option. Two is too easy. I mean, like you say, he's too easy. I mean, I saw a track. I actually yeah. saw a track of the people putting the two videos together of Tua throwing the touchdown and Colin running the, all the way across the court. And you know, my, my immediate reaction is, hey, this is so beautiful. It belongs on a adult website. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, okay, if we're taking Tua off the table, um, I'm, I'm between two guys here, and I know that we're supposed to pick one. To me, I think the more talented guy overall is Jerry Judy. That guy runs incredibly um, – he's very efficient with his route running. He can set up opposing defensive backs. He is – I think he shows Odell Beckham-esque catching ability. Uh, his catch radius is outstanding for a guy his size. I just think he's the entire package. But what worries me, and the whole reason that I'm reluctant to name him the guy, is the connection but that I saw between Ruggs and Tua last season. I mean – Rugs and Rugs is phenomenal as well. I think uh, you know both guys have a chance to end up being that Colin Sexton type of playmaker where they're you know huge threats. It's hard for those guys to be the same level of a threat to defenses as a guy like Julio Jones. Well, but or, I think but I think Judy has that. You know, I always when I looked at it, I always thought of Judy as the guy that could be the Julio esque type. 
Well, I, and I the mean, reason that I say that it's more difficult is he does not have that physical presence no, that a guy like Julio his had. His athleticism and his strength. I mean, yeah, he almost caught that ball that was insanely overthrown in the national championship game that went over his head. But there was two defenders in front of him, and I swear to God, I thought he was about to catch that thing. The guy can leap, and that catch he had against Auburn was insane. And, and the, the catch the, to me, if you want to see his best catches, go back to the spring game. Oh man, that guy man. was straight up murdering everybody. I think it was oh. Aaron Robinson. The I don't know if he, I mean he was just. I felt so bad for whoever was having to line up against him because he was killing everybody. Yeah, well, um, and I and I think he's that guy. I just think we they lacked a quarterback. They lacked a uh, they lacked a true pass thrower. And but I think does it ultimately come back? Does it ultimately come back and hurt? A guy like Judy, the fact that he ended up with the starters last year, he was the first freshman receiver off, you know, he was in a lot of packages. So he was working with the first team offense with Jalen a lot last year. Ruggs was Tua's main guy because, you know, Tua was getting a lot of reps with the ones and stuff, but the first guy off the bench, I guess you would say, was Ruggs um, as far as those young receivers. And I just feel like he had a lot more opportunities to really build a lot of chemistry with Tua. Do you think that ultimately hurts Judy or do you think Judy ends up being the guy? I don't think that hurts Judy. I don't because I think Judy was who he was and, you know, the best receivers. And I truly believe he's one of the best, you know, it's just like a quarterback, the best quarterbacks. If they go out and throw a pick on two consecutive plays, they'll come out the next uh, drive and they're still going to try to throw a touchdown because that's what they do. If they're really good at what they do, then that's what they'll do. And I just think with Judy, I think, yeah, you know what, I agree with what you're saying. And But you know what, they all took reps from both guys in practice, and you know he saw a lot of balls thrown from both guys. They know two is the guy. And I still think you know two came in as a true freshman, and there's no question, there's no way they didn't practice together. There's no way that they didn't practice, him and Judy didn't practice together. Now, maybe they didn't practice as much during the, during the actual season, but there's no question they had some practice because they knew, like, hey, we might be the future of this team. I'm, we're both freshmen, you know, you know, whatever, and I'm a quarterback, your receiver type thing. You see that happen all the time. So I, I don't think it hurts him at all. In fact, I think it makes him better because he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually getting balls thrown to me this year. This is amazing. And, and that's an interesting point. Goes off, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and all it takes is one, is one, you know, um, off season or even one game next year to really get his confidence going. And, and but I I agree with you. I think as far as ceilings and where he can end up being as far as past Alabama receivers like Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, I think he'll absolutely end up being in the conversation. So here's something I actually wanted to I wanted to say, and this is a little more controversial than you would might you know might want to hear. I'm going to say this, and I hate to say it, and I'll probably get a lot of backlash for it. I Tread love Jalen. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. But, look, I love Jalen. I thought Jalen was a tremendous guy, obviously great person. He was very athletic, very good at what he did. You know, the things he spe- he was good at, he was really, really good at. I want to say this. And, again, there were more of those rumors and rumblings that came out last year. The, front, the receivers and the running backs, and there were so many people frustrated last year with Jalen. And I'm going to say this. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. If Jalen Hurts wins this quarterback battle and is the starter at the beginning of next season, guys, are the offense is going to be awful because they're not going to want to play for Jalen. I completely I, agree. I, I hate to say it, though, because that's an awful thing to say. But the guys yeah. are done with that. As, as a well, receiver, you want the ball thrown. You were told you were going to get the ball thrown your way. If I'm not getting, if I'm blocking every play, I might as well have played at Georgia Tech. There's a reason well, I didn't play at Georgia Tech. 
right? Well, I mean, the well, and the thing about it with that is, I think it's very tough on the receivers because they love Jalen's personality, they love him as a person, and they want to play with him. But I think it's also very frustrating. I mean, uh, receivers are divas, and you know, you, maybe some of the guys don't have the personality of a of a Michael Irvin or of an Odell Beckham. Of course, we all know Julio was a, a quiet leader, and that's, I think, why he's been so loved. I think uh, Coop been... kind of had that same quiet Agreed. leader. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But, you know, receivers want the ball, and at least if, you know, most of your big-time receivers do, and I think that it was – I mean, at one point last year, uh, Judy had tweeted out during the season, you know, I wonder what would have happened if I would have switched defensive back. Yep. And I don't know if that ended up tweeted ended up being deleted or what ended up happening with it. But I guarantee you one thing, once Tua came in in the national championship game, I guarantee you notice one thing. We've seen Devontae Smith working at cornerback. Have we seen Jerry Judy? No. Probably because Judy's like, I want to stay at receiver. I just wanted a guy that could get me the football. We got one now, so I'm good. I'm, I'm going to shut my mouth now. But right. I think that it is very frustrating if Jalen ends up being the starter. I just don't think he does. And I people, and this is the thing: a lot of media guys, and I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna shy away from this. I'm gonna give my honest opinion because I feel like Alabama fans deserve that. And a lot of media people still really are playing into this whole quarterback competition. And I and I don't disagree with them. I think that. Right now, Saban is not 100% sure on the Tua front. I think he wants Tua to be the guy, but it's that seniority thing. It's that what Jalen has been able to do. I think he believes Jalen deserves a chance. And yes, he has to give he's given him that. Absolutely. And so I think that there is – but he, he understands exactly where everything ends up with the offense next year if it doesn't – if he ends up going with Jalen as his guy. And the problem – is it's like I've said, and this is something I guarantee you Saban's thinking about. I'm not I'm not thinking revolutionary things here. The defense and where it's at, you gotta have a different style of offense to be successful with it next year. Um So I do where think does that, when does Jalen transfer? That's my question. I don't necessarily think that he does. I and, and I've said this a lot. I'm not saying that a transfer is completely out of the cards. Obviously it's in play, but my thought process and everything that Saban has done is kind of backed this up, except for say Jalen's still in the competition. This has been the only thing to throw a wrench in my belief with what has been going on. When I saw that he was looking so hard, he was offering all these different guys, the guys that, the guy that ended up committing to Princeton over Alabama, that quarterback. I mean, he was desperate for a quarterback in this class. And then, of course, he didn't get one. And then he made the move to desperately be seeking out a grad transfer quarterback. Um I think the whole entire play has been Hertz has been maybe willing to make a position change if that's what helped the team or Saban was going to ask him to change positions because then it still gives him two years to work at that spot compared to a guy like Terrell Pryor who didn't make the move until three or four years into his NFL career. Um, but, uh, you know, you have an, end up having a Braxton Miller type of situation. And what's crazy is, is as well as Braxton Miller did during his short period of time as a freshman at Ohio State at quarterback – he still ended up moving to receiver, you know, and, and fans don't understand that. We it can now. Granted, Jalen doesn't provide the same kind of athleticism. He's strong. He's, he's more fast. of a running back type guy. Yeah, I, and he he doesn't have really the agility or anything um, to be, you know, uh, make people miss to the degree that. Uh, okay, I take that back. Um, obviously, he has the ability to make people people miss. He does it all the time, but I just don't think as far as. Um, 
him and, and Braxton Miller are two different players. But I think that Hertz was willing to make a position change. But Alabama wanted to add that third quarterback. You can't go into the season with Mac Jones being your backup and Tua being well, your starter. I mean, because I, I don't, I wouldn't even put it past to say, hey, Mac might even go. You know, we've seen it. You know, Mac might leave if Jalen does not change positions. Mac's gone, it, it, and that's possible. I and I think see that, why I'll say this: stay. I think it's a lot more likely that if Jalen wins the job, that Tua is gone, than if Tua wins the job, Jalen's gone. I'll say that. I feel like Jalen is open. I'd even heard rumblings um, from some people that I know in the program, and I haven't really put out anything about this because I don't. It, it is seriously just speculation. But some people were swearing up and down that Jalen, before even the Clemson game in the playoff, was willing to change positions and that he had sat down with his family and discussed it and he understood that the quarterback position might not be his future. I don't know if there's any truth to that. But based off of everything I've seen, my kind of – a guess as to what has gone on behind the scenes, and this is purely a guess, but I think that Jalen said, I'll stay at quarterback and be, you know, and compete, and if I lose, I'll stay at quarterback and be the backup. But I would like to switch positions, and so Saban has approached it with the mindset of if we can get a quarterback in this class, a third scholarship quarterback, or if we can get a grad transfer to where we did have a total of three scholarship quarterbacks, then we'll switch positions for Jalen. If we don't get that third guy, you know, Jalen and Jalen has proven he's willing to do what's ever best for the team. Let's not forget that. I think he was willing to also leave Jalen at quarterback if he had to, to keep three scholarship guys. I on think the, the problem with that becomes this though, with Jalen there, he's like kind of security blanket at the quarterback position. Hey, if we lose, you know, if we have like a massacre, you know, the rest, at least he's still there to play. And he's an experienced guy who can still make plays and whatever. But, you know, you can't do that. Like, if you change positions, it needs to be fully changed. It's not, That's oh, my point. I'm also playing, I'm playing, I'm studying a little quarterback just in case. And, you know, my thing is, look, the best case scenario, in my opinion, is Tua starts, Mac Jones backs him up, or, or Tua starts, Hurts backs him up, and then, you have to wonder what happens to Mac Jones. You know, I could see Hurts coming and kind of having a package, having certain packages. I don't, I don't think we have to worry about Mac Jones uh, transferring at this point. I mean, he's only going to be a redshirt freshman. Granted, he's staring down the barrel of sitting for several more years, but I think that he's at least going to stick it out for one more year. And then you're talking, maybe he transfers as a redshirt sophomore, sits out that year, and he's got two years of eligibility after that. But I think for this season, I think he's pretty much locked in at Alabama. And maybe he does feel disrespected for not being considered in the competition. Um, but I guarantee you, Saban's probably telling him you are in the competition. If there is one going on, you're involved. He's not telling him, no, you're out of it. But um, that's just, you know, good coaching there. That Whether it be true or not, it's a different story. But I think Jones you don't have to worry about. My With Minshew not coming to Alabama, the ideal situation for the Tide would be Tua starting Jalen as his backup, and then Mac Jones as the third string for the second year in a row. And the reason that I say that is you don't want just two scholarship quarterbacks. And people have said, oh, what you can do is is you can move positions with Jalen 
and then if something happens to Tua, move Jalen back to quarterback. That's not how it works. It's not Madden where these guys just retain all the skills. When you haven't been practicing every day, reading defenses, going through your drops, doing all the things, especially with guys like Jalen who struggle with that stuff already, and you move him to receiver or running back or whatever for two months and then Tua gets hurt, you can't just move him back to quarterback and everything just be gravy like it was before. He would have to stay at quarterback, if he, and I think that's exactly why Saban wanted to secure that third quarterback before he could make a permanent move with Jalen to a different position. And the fact that it hasn't worked out that way, I think Jalen stays at quarterback oh, regardless of if he right wins there, or loses. I don't know. I say, I, I'm telling you because I, I just, you know, I want to believe that because, yeah, I mean, there's – I think realistically Jalen has to be the best choice if Tua goes down, right? I mean, there's – you know, with his experience and all that, surely he's the best choice. But like we just mentioned, if Jalen's at quarterback, the receivers, the running backs, the skill players are going to be very, very angry or unsettled at some point. Now, obviously, they're not going to do anything about it, but they could leave, they could do stuff. At the end of the day, I get that, you know, if injuries happen and two, it could go down. <sighs> but I think that Jalen has unfortunately shown he doesn't necessarily have the ability to get the ball down the field to his receivers. And but we have no idea what Mac Jones is either, though. We, we don't. Gotta, I mean, but that I is mean, still a question mark. That is a that that's there's still the potential with Jalen. I think you kind of know what you get. Now I'm not going to say he couldn't change and get better and improve. I think he'll. I think for his best bet, he would need to go somewhere else and work. I think Jalen wants to coach eventually, like his dad. So he's staying where he's at, and he'll just. Be a grad assistant, and uh, Saban would love him to death as a grad assistant. He'd be probably one of the greats he's ever had. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's not fair to expect that Mac Jones won't be looking at where if he's not getting any chance of being the backup. And and the thing is, if at all, he's cerebrally better. Even if he doesn't have the arm, if he's just a little better in the head and he's able to get the ball to the different receivers – you know, in that moment, it's hard to say why doesn't he get a shot. Well, I mean, I just feel like you can't take seniority over talent all the time. Sometimes, I agree. yes, but, but you do can't you do that, it all the time because that. But that's, do you think that the receivers back when you know you had Brody Croyle, he gets hurt. Then you have Mark Gillen, the Miami transfer, he gets hurt, and then you're just to Spencer Pennington, and that guy was terrible. I mean, and that, you know. No offense to Spencer Pennington, but you know we call call it like it is. He was he was an awful quarterback. Threw it away on fourth down in the Music City Bowl against Minnesota. Still bothers me. I was at that game as a kid. But do you think the receivers were like, man, I'm transferring because I'm upset that our third string quarterback can't give me the football? No, they understand that you're no longer on your starter. So the receivers, if Jalen's forced to come in, Jalen obviously has proven that he can win you football games as long as everything else is going right. Right, but with the third-string quarterback, you're talking about, well, we have no more options. Yet with, with Jalen being there, you're like, okay, well, you might get some guys saying, eh, well, what about Mac Jones? Like, yeah, oh, but, Okay, but are you, saying, are you saying that the receivers are going to have the mentality that, hey, yeah, Mac Jones can get me the football a lot better, but our offense as a whole is a lot less dynamic and it does not do nearly as well, and we're now losing football games, but at least he can throw me the football better. Um, they, they're not going to have that mentality, no, they're not especially mentality. at a place like Alabama. No, they're they're going to say, I understand a, that they're not going to want. The problem becomes if Jalen is in the in the ball game. It, and again, look, this is rumors. If the receivers were as frustrated as they were, it will get bad again. 
It's not like, yes, it's not their fault. If something if happens. If he wins the starting job, I agree. Oh, with you. yes, absolutely. But I'm talking about if he doesn't, if they get injured. I'm not going to say they're going to get mad. They're going to say, you know what? We got to deal with it. Yes, that's fine. But if he goes in there and he's still not throwing the ball the way he should be, not getting it to the guys, and he's four games into the season doing the same things he did last year, even um, this is the, the situation if Tua goes down, all of a sudden, you, you I mean, as a receiver, inherently, because you're human, you start saying, I wonder if they're what what Mac Jones can do. I wonder if there's a better option. I can't help that. You're a human being, and like you said, receivers want the ball. Yeah, they're not gonna want to sacrifice the team for it, but if that happens for two years in a row, they're like, Man, I should have gone somewhere else because I but mean But they also have the mentality that it's not a coach's decision. I think the most frustrating part for the receivers last year was the fact that they felt like somebody was sitting there completely healthy behind Jalen that could do a better job with the entire team. But they didn't know and Tua. With them. But you, you said that you said, Well, we don't really know what Mac is and you're tr- you're right. But we hundred percent know what Tua was. We we saw the magic in the Vanderbilt game. I'm not, we saw I'm the talking magic about before that because there were still some that, frustrations with Jalen. I, I think the that. frustration built up over the course of the season, and by the end of the year, you saw a lot more of the frustration. At the beginning of the year, uh, no, I never heard anything well, about and, receivers and being be honest, frustrated. Two is a probably a once in a lifetime guy. I mean, let's and not, guys knew that uh, he's right. not a three star. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I still, think that it's a different situation. I, okay, but so you're saying that four games, with you say two gets hurt. Yeah, it's not a coach's decision. However, four games in, let's say four games after, you know, Jalen's been starting for four games because of an injury to Tua. All of a sudden, he's not getting the ball to guys. Guys' numbers are just drastically lower. The offense is struggling. They don't look great. They're doing the same things they did last year where they're sufficing and they're surviving on like 170 passing yards from Jalen and like 140 rushing yards. And, you know, the rest of the offense is kind of struggling because Jalen can get the ball down the field, whatever, and they're stacking the box against them, whatever. You're going to say that four games in, the receivers and the guys are going to like, here we go again. Yeah, it's not a coach's decision, but they're going to say, well, it is a coach's decision to try something new. Like, you know, if the offense is still kind of struggling with the way they did. Because, look, everybody knows how to stop the the offense when Jalen's on a quarterback. If you go by what last year looked like, a good defense will destroy their offense with Jalen at quarterback with the way they, the way they played him. I'm not saying it's his fault because it could have been a coach's choice. But the way he played when he was on the field, because for whatever reason, he was a little too easy to stop because they knew there was no real deep threat. I think that you would have to be 100% certain that Mac Jones is going to do a better job, not only getting you the football as a receiver, but the offense is overall going to be better with him under center than it would be Jalen. That would be the only way as a person that you would get frustrated if you you understand that it is out of your control. It's unfortunate. I'm not saying that they won't all be like this – sucks but at the same time I don't think that they're going to be frustrated and be like oh we you know you decided as a coach to go with the guy that took us to a national championship game last year um, over a third string quarterback former three-star guy that we've seen in practice and unless he's just been doing way better than Jalen in practice well I've heard good things about him especially this spring that he had a good maybe this Okay, I see. I haven't heard anything about him this week and I'm going to practice um, I think next week I'm excited to be able to do that um, to get my eyes on him. But, you know, from last year uh, in the spring, and granted he was just coming, he had just stopped being a high school football player uh, a few months before that. So I get a lot can change in a year. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I just think that, it, yes, okay, if you clearly see that Mac Jones is absolutely murdering it with the back, uh, with the backups, kind of like you did Tua. But uh, is that fair? In, because, like, you got, he's got to get playing time for that. 
he's got to get playing. To, he's got to have a chance. And let's say Jalen goes in, they the defense dominates, and the problem with that's the thing we talked about it. Can can the Jalen styled offense really dominate with the defense? It's going to be somewhat weakened in the secondary. I don't know. I don't. You're also assuming that there's zero improvement from Jalen. Oh well, yeah, that's true. I, I admit um, to that. And Jalen, like I said, he could he could improve. He could surprise us all and come out firing bullets. You know, but he I'm did not really he's gonna well be... in the in the spring game last year, and then was kind of turned right back to what he used to be. You know, yeah. I don't know. We don't. It's hard to say. So my thing, man, is like. I, I don't think that it, you have to like. I don't think I don't know that you're gonna look at it like that. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not a receiver. I'm not sitting in the locker room, and I definitely don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. But if I'm a receiver personally, and I'm thinking, hey, this other guy, there's one more guy we haven't tried. The offense is a little stalling. Yes, I get the choice, and it's not my decision. I have to go out and play. But if the offense is stalling, don't you have to at least look? I mean, I as, isn't your about- responsibility to as a coach? For your players' benefit, if the offense is some still kind of struggling, if you've been playing good defenses and you're cl- you're playing tight games, got dude like Mississippi State almost beat them last year, and they come in next year and they're they're going to be insanely good on defense. They're bringing so many of their guys back. I mean, they're going to be really good on defense. Yeah, they got new coordinators, new coach. They're still going to be good on defense. Uh, you got guys like uh, you know LSU, obviously usually pretty. I good. think we're spending way too much time talking about something that's probably a mute point, anyways. I'll I'll leave it with this. I I think that that is way you know in some Inception stuff, a dream within a dream within a dream. Um, you're trying to get into the it's mindset a lot of what of ifs, receivers. that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I just feel like at the end of the day, they approach it, you know, when Blackman became the starting quarterback for Florida State when DeAndre Francois went out, did were the receivers mad? They were like, well, I mean, it's the circumstances. Were they, you know, he, he struggled to get Auden Tate the ball and some of those guys involved in the offense as much as a guy like Francois would have. But at the end of the day, the receivers were like, man, I mean, it just it sucks that an injury happened. But at the same but time, but they did. But see, but Jimbo failed to get a better recruit, another quarterback recruit. That was the only guy they really had, besides I think maybe a walk on or something. That was all they had. No, they have scholar. They had scholarship guys, but they were all Mac Joneses. That's my point. Uh, Blackman was by far, and I think Blackman might have been only a three star recruit. But it doesn't matter. There's been plenty of three stars to rise up and be absolute stars. I've on never the seen level. a starting quarterback as skinny as that guy. Yeah, and, and very true. And, to and me, I mean that says something, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, Philip Rivers, who went to my high school, he was a two-star. The only team to offer him coming out of high school as a quarterback, or at least the by far the biggest school, was NC State. As crazy as this sounds, and if you watch Philip Rivers being 6'5", you know, 230 pounds or whatever he is, he was recruited most heavily on the Division One level as a safety, which blows my mind today. He, he's a pocket passer. Um, I don't know what team saw in him back then, but – NC State was the only one to offer him as a quarterback, and he, he ends up breaking records there and moving on to be a top-four pick in the NFL draft and having a pretty dang good NFL career. So you're Still absolutely playing. right. Yeah, and so Mac Jones can be that. Um, he could be more than that. He could be less than that. I mean, it's there's a huge spectrum there. But I just feel like at a certain point you can sit there and say, me personally, this hurts me. But you're also talking about Alabama receivers. And with the process – and the way that it works, and the same way with the Patriot way in the NFL, 
you have guys come in and they're not divas. You haven't heard Brandon Cooks complaining about not getting the football enough uh, ever since he's joined the Patriots. And I know he had some rumblings and some problems with the way he was used with the Saints. But when you become a Patriot or you become part of the Alabama Crimson Tide, there's a mentality that comes with it. And they are able to get you to buy into this whole team aspect. And it's why guys are willing to sit on the bench for a couple of years well, before a, they get I'll, their I'll, turn. I'll support your argument a little bit here. I'll throw a little sprinkle on top for you here. I shouldn't argue myself, but I I feel the need to. One thing I will say is the offensive coordinator this year is the ex-receiver coach. He still might even be coaching some receivers. Obviously, Mike's Lock, Mike Loxley knows. I, I, here's what I think happens if that situation – this I, this could change kind of the whole argument here. I think they just stick with whatever they've been doing. They say, screw it. We're not going to run that crap offense. We're just going to let Jalen throw. If he messes up, whatever. We have no choice. Otherwise, we're going to lose. I I know that doesn't sound like Nick Saban, but I really think that's what would happen. I really do. Because I don't think if you run the entire season, this offense is more spread. There's not a whole lot of option. You're doing your own thing. And then you throw Jalen in there. All of a sudden, you change it completely for to for him. I, I don't think it's going to work because they're, they're not and, they and running that. And I think that. Saban – Saban's only concern is at the end of the day, what gives us the best chance to win? Right, and Mike Loxley is going to say, look, the receivers want the ball. The running backs need space. You know, the offensive linemen are young guys. They need an opportunity to block. And if you got a, if you got six or seven dudes rushing the quarterback every play, you're not going to get – I mean, they're going to mess up. I mean, so, yeah, I think I think that could happen. Um I think well, that, I, we'll close it off with that one, that part right yeah, there. Um, I, think, I think that this has been a phenomenal conversation. I really enjoy going back and forth with you uh, because I think it's interesting. And a lot of Alabama fans, um, some of them are going to agree with you and some of them are going to agree with me. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we don't have control over anything and neither does anybody else that's listening. But I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm excited to, you know, the Crimson Blitz is something that I know we've both been really excited to be able to share with fans. It's us just talking a little football, bouncing thoughts off of each other, and we're eventually going to start working our way into getting some guests on here. And, guys, uh, anybody listening, you know, we, we really want you guys commenting. Let us know. Like, hey, you, you, we our information, you know, do whatever you got to do. Comment on iTunes. Comment on Facebook. Comment on YouTube. Comment wherever you're listening from. I don't care if you've pirated it Can you it comment through. on YouTube? Yeah, you can I don't comment know. on YouTube. I, I I don't know. I don't do the whole YouTube thing too much. I mean, I'll listen to podcasts, but I'm not. I've never been one. Wait, 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 you know, wait. You've never seen you. You read YouTube comments. We did that. I've for read Bama YouTube versus. comments. Absolutely, but I, what I'm saying is, is the iTunes thing. Oh, you said uh, YouTube, but you meant iTunes. Oh yeah, I didn't know you could comment on iTunes. Yeah, well, you can leave reviews and then whatever. Oh, I mean, fair enough. I, you okay. know, you know, I don't know, whatever. I, I mean, well, you know what, guys, do that. If that's yeah, something you, you can do, works. certainly <laughs> do that. Figure out a way. But uh, absolutely. Well, this is, like I said, this has been a lot of fun. We're looking forward to getting things back kicked off. And let us know what you want to hear about. Or if you got yeah. questions for us, advice, things you need to know, I don't care, whatever it is. Well, in the in, in every week, the great part about it with spring training going on, we're going to have be having a lot to talk about over the next you know few weeks leading up to the A-Day game. And it will be interesting to see how everything plays out. But I am Clint Lamb sitting here with Jake Weaver. We've had a blast. Hope you guys have too. And we'll talk to you guys next week. This was the Crimson Blitz.